What's up guys? Welcome back to Blondes Building Equity. We've been having a lot of women on, which is super exciting because we love curating that space for women as well. And so today we have someone a little bit different. She's also into investments, but she actually owns her own brokerage. She's a young, gorgeous boss woman with her own brokerage doing crazy sales. And I found her from TikTok. So we always tell you guys, push content, push your business, and she literally does it all, and she has two babies. So welcome on, Mar Juliet. Thank you so much for coming on. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be on. Um, I am born and raised in South Florida, so I've lived here my whole life. I'm actually sitting here in my office looking at the intercoastal uh, right where I grew up. So I sell from Miami to Palm Beach, and I have 20 agents who now work for me, um, and we really specialize in investments, a lot of Airbnb properties. And now I've opened a commercial division over the last year and a half. And we're really starting to get really, really into those commercial deals and new developments. So it's really exciting. Nice. And have you ever invested into real estate at all? Or you're just for now going to be an agent? Yes. So I actually sold two investment properties of my own this year. Um, I had a duplex that I invested in with friends. So it was my first real estate investment and I was nervous to just do it myself. So we got a couple of our friends, my husband and I, um, and we invested on a duplex together and we sold that in the beginning of last year. Um, and that was like totally passive, like the most passive investment, super, super low maintenance, um, you know, just getting the annual income, but really making it more on the sale. And then, um, as far as my other investment, I purchased a fixer upper and I was going to build on it. And I realized, okay, I'm like now seven, eight months pregnant. I don't have time to do this. So yeah. I sold it two months later and made 150 K on that. So wow. that was a really quick, like random investment that I made good money on because I bought it the right way. And I knew the location really well. And I do a ton of off-market deals. So usually those deals go to my clients, but this one I was like, all right, let me, uh, let me do this one. But yeah, we do a ton with our, with our clients. I'm always looking for new investments to get in on. So was there, if it was like giving good return, was there a reason you sold it instead of keeping it? So the property was pretty like to the point where it would need a new roof. It was right. pretty run down, like not new whatsoever. So we had really great tenants who were paying $800 a month when we bought it, but the market rent was like 1400, 1450. So I'm like, all right, let's cut a deal because you guys are great tenants and you take care of the property. They maintained it. So we kind of met in the middle at like 1200 a month and kept those tenants. We knew that we could make more, but it was more so the end game of selling it because of the location. I, because right. I'm from Pompano beach in South Florida, I know which pockets are going to make money soon. So like, that's where that's why we bought there and that's why we sold when we did because it was a good time with the market and the new development coming in that area uh, but we didn't want to like put a ton of money in the property right that's something people don't talk about is when you do keep property there's not really a list that you can look at of things that needs to be done once you have the property you're like oh my gosh, I didn't realize how much goes into owning a property. And that's why time. it gets super dangerous yeah. when you're investing for cash flow because a lot of investors don't like 
think about the roof, the repairs. And so you could have made a thousand dollars a month in, in cash flow that year. And then they're like, I'll quit my job. I can live off of this. I have 10 duplexes. And then they don't realize that water heater needed to replace that roof cost $10,000. And then they completely ate into their profit. So it's super important guys that you make sure no matter what, when you're doing a deal that you have those costs put Mm -hmm. into place, you need an inspection before you Mm -hmm. buy, you should Mm -hmm. know this roof has five years left on it. This roof has 10 years left on it because you need to have those numbers laid out so that you're still positive in cash flow. Mm -hmm. Unless obviously you're just investing for equity build. Um, so some, my other question for you is since you know the Florida market so Where's well, yeah, no, well, I want to move somewhere I'm, I'm navigating, but so many investors went to Florida <laughs> and um, what do you think now? Is it, is it oversaturated? Is, do you think there's still a lot of opportunity in Florida? So growing up here, like in high school, it was the thing to like go to high school and then move to California. Like everyone from here wanted to live in California, LA, San Diego, all that. And then once the lockdown happened, every client coming in. Now I used to have listings that I would, the only buyers would be local or from New York, New Jersey, the East coast. Then it went all of a sudden to like everyone in California, everyone in Utah, everyone in Colorado, like moving here in droves, which we never had before. And I even wrote it down like in my notebook notebook before all that happened. I was like, I really want to start working with clients from like California and like people across the country. And then it was like really just those people, like all of a sudden. So it's kind of crazy because they'll invest in like an Airbnb with us as like a vacation home or just a income producing property and they come here and they're like, Oh my God, I want to live here too. So then they want to move full time. And a lot of them, a lot of people do that. We have several people who have bought three, four properties with us because they see how consistent the income is because we have year round amazing weather and we don't have to like have those vacancies like other places do. So it's kind of like, like, duh, like, of course you want to live here. It's like, it's sunny all the time. Beautiful. The rent control laws in in Florida, are they yes. pretty so, Okay, so we got a lot of people who initially are like, I want to invest in Miami. But Miami is very, very strict, like so yeah. strict with short-term rentals, especially with single-family homes. And then when you go like the condo route, most of them you have to wait a year, two years to even rent it out annually. So Broward County is right in between Dade and Palm Beach County. This is like the area that's the most, the easiest to do Airbnb in as far as like short term, I mean, single family homes, because they are more open to, you know, having the tourism here, having Airbnbs. Fort Lauderdale is good. Deerfield's super, super easy to get licensed in. Pompano is tough. You know, it's like there's different cities within Broward County, within Palm Beach County and within Dade County that we know because we're specializing in it, that those areas allow it and some don't. Um, in, in Miami, we've started selling the buildings that are built specifically for short-term rentals. And those are great because they come furnished, they're like ready to go and they're at good, good price points and they allow it. Like there's no issues with the city that you're going to run into like you do with a short, a single family home, but people rent them out in Miami all the time, like unlicensed. But That's what I was wondering because I'm like, there's so many options when I go to look on Airbnbs. So do they just do it without permission and then they just kind of risk getting in trouble and shut down. Yes. Paul, that's yes. a hard business. That's why like even if someone 
Yeah, even if someone's like, oh, I want to buy a, a single family home in Coral Gables to rent out, I'm like, I'm not going to do that because I'm not going to put you in a situation where you're doing something illegal right. and then I get, you know, like, you're right. like, I can't rent it out. So that's why even local agents send their clients to us because they don't know where they allow and where they don't. So right. um, we really specialize in that for sure. And I just want to talk about really quick um, the duplex that I owned that was an annual rental. That's kind of how I like realized how profitable Airbnb was here before it started getting super popular because our unit was making net eight grand a year, you know, after expenses, all that stuff, not yeah. anything amazing. The property a street over that was the same layout, same everything. I knew that they were renting it out as a vacation rental and they were making like 35, 40 K net a year. So I'm looking at my friends and I'm like, what are we doing? Like, why wouldn't we put this on Airbnb and like make way more money? So then right. I kind of talked to a lot of my investors and I was like, listen, like you could be making so much more on these properties. And at first they were like, these numbers sound insane. Like there's no way you're making, you know, 15 to 20% return. That's like unheard of. And now it's kind of like par for the course. But before it was hard to convince people that that was even possible. Right. No, it definitely matters. I mean, we are Airbnb in two properties right now of ours, uh, why they're on the market, because we've seen such a market shift. We do high end flips. So the multi-million dollar flips. So we have things, you know, sitting for a lot longer. So we got creative and we're like, well, let's Airbnb them when we don't have showings. So we've been able to cover oh, the whole. Yeah. So we're covering holding costs while being able to show it. So we're like, okay, if we have a guest on the weekend and they want to check in Friday, Saturday, they check it, check out Sunday by 11. So then we have our cleaner come in. We still have an open house one to four, you know? So it's right. still like we make it right. work, but it's definitely, at least in California, like anything, long-term rentals, you have rent control and then Airbnb, it's just been a nightmare. The approval process, the city's gotten so strict. And one of our guests on the podcast actually told us, you need to go to a place that their main money source is more of right. tourism. Like LA does not care. Yes that you're bringing in money. Like they want their residents right. who pay millions of dollars for a home to not have an Airbnb next to it. Mm -hmm. So it's almost impossible right. here. We make it work, but right. it's definitely like the neighbors hate it. They don't want it, you know? So. Well, we, we're doing it yeah. illegally right now, which is hard. Cause actually our first <laughs> month, we rented it out and we almost made, um, what our interest payments are and our interest is very very high we almost made our first month on airbnb that interest payment and now in the summer we'll be making like four grand over our interest payments so we were talking like yeah maybe we can just keep it if we're making more money than our interest payments but then you have the risk of getting shut down because it's not legal for under 30 days to right. rent it out so it's a hard business plan when it's you're illegal yeah it, you, wow. you can't you have to think long term and yeah, we don't have rules like like the only place off the top of my head that I'm thinking of that has like even a minimum is like Lauderdale by the Sea as a seven day minimum, but everywhere else you could rent it out daily. You could even we have a lot of people who will rent out for the day for like a couple hours and they just do like a photo shoot or yeah. like if somebody owns a boutique and they need to get some lifestyle content, that kind of stuff. So even the boats, like I have a waterfront right now, it's a five bedroom home perfect Airbnb, like amazing would make, you know, projections are over 300K a year in gross income. And 
you know, that all day, like those will be rented out 90% occupancy. And that's not unheard of. That's not uncommon. Miami has obviously the highest occupancy rate. And like the managers that I talked to, even as far north as Pompano Beach, where people don't really know this area as well, still 90, 95%, which is just insanity. (laughs) It's like, it's like renting it annually, but making four times as much, you know, and have you cases, ever thought about just offering like Airbnb services, like also being a real estate agent, but if someone's house is just sitting on the market, offering them services to do Airbnbs to rent it out and kind of like help them out still. Before I opened a brokerage, I had a couple that was buying a lot of vacation rentals and they wanted me to manage for them. And I was like, listen, I'm pregnant. This is with my first son. I don't have time to do it. Then when I opened the brokerage, my husband and I, uh, like I opened the brokerage myself, 100%. I own it. Then my husband owns a title company. So he does oh, all amazing. of our closings pretty much. Um, and then together, we're like, let's do 50-50. Let's open a property management business. Mm-hmm. So we were running it together. We would work both of our businesses during the week. And then we would do the property management at night and on the weekends. It was hell. Like I was like, I totally give property managers so much credit for how much work this is because if somebody has three spoons and not four you've got to go give them their spoons oh my gosh yeah you know like and steven's like i went to law school like i don't want to do i don't want to be like taking out trash every day like you know like i felt the same way i was like this is too much for the profit Mm -hmm. of that business and to be honest i was like this is not in the best interest of my clients like as much as they want me to manage their properties and they want it all in-house like it's not for i want somebody to be solely focused on that um which is why i heavily vet the property managers that we send out to because it is people start doing it and then they're like oh my god i did not realize that this was so much work so (laughs) it's really good to have people who just do that i think your vacancy depends on your reviews. And once you get a bad review because someone doesn't have three spoons or four spoons, it's like right. your your business starts to shut down. Like we had the same thing oh, here yeah. in like Hollywood. I'm like managing this Airbnb and I'm like, this is not easy at all. <laughs> like every day there's something that comes up and I have to go fix something. I have to go bring them something. My boyfriend has to come every fix day. Things. And they're still not even grateful. Like we had someone staying here and she was like complaining because her sheets weren't ironed every day, which I'm like, who comes and irons your sheets in an Airbnb? I've never heard of that. Sign me up for that one. (laughs) And then she was complaining. Like there's so many things. And every time I would have my boyfriend come, we'd come fix it. I paid a handyman like a thousand dollars to come fix something. And she still wasn't satisfied and she still didn't leave me a good review. And I'm like, what more do I need to do to get a good review from you guys? Right. They expect so you're competing much. with hotels and, mm-hmm. and you have no control over really like if somebody's just having a bad day and they write a bad review, if you get three bad reviews on Airbnb, you're like off the platform. Mm-hmm. So yeah. same thing. Like I was going to deliver the spoon and then she's like, oh, you didn't bring me six spoons. She brought me four. And I'm like really trying to hold it together. I'm like, yeah. ma'am. <laughs> Yeah. Why do you and your husband need 17 spoons? Like, it's like, I need somebody that's like in hospitality to do that because right. I don't have the patience for it. Right. <laughs> but um, yeah, like- shout out to all because it's worth the percentage. Whatever you guys are, you know, 15, 20, 25%, it's worth it to have your property managed and taken care of and maintained. And that's right. another thing to educate your listeners on. Like, 
you can cut corners by doing like virtual management or paying 10% to evolve to manage your property. But you might have a hole in your wall and you don't even know it right. until five months later. Yeah. But so like if was... you're going to go sell that property, you're losing money. Like I'm you curious, are. So sure. like if you have a virtual manager, because virtual managers would never do what me and my boyfriend have done for these guests. So I don't even know, is there a manager right. that is literally on call one in the morning and going and fixing something for the guests so they don't complain? Like, is that a thing? So there's hybrid. There's like hybrid where it's, virtual and they have people on the ground there are ones like that there are ones where it's all virtual and there are ones where it's just somebody managing like five properties locally and they're the ones always right. running and doing everything there are pros and cons to all of those like my parents have a, a property in deerfield that's an airbnb it does incredibly well it's managed by a local woman that like used to work at the beals down the street and now she wants to be a property manager and like that's kind of the perfect person in my mind, like who I would want to manage because you can connect with them easily. Right. And you know that their boots on the ground, like looking out for your property. But realistically, if you're trying to buy like multiple properties, let's say, and you want one in Houston and you want one in South Florida and you want one in California, a virtual manager that also has people on the ground, like hybrid would be ideal, I think. Mm. And I have okay. managers like that, that I refer out to. Yeah. Oh, nice. I like that. So what we've kind of learned is this past few months is A, you need an insane property manager, everybody. And B, this is where it comes back to you, is an insane real estate agent. Like, especially if you're an investor, we really believe the power of the one thing. We've always tried to do it all and you just can't be the best at it all. And so once we were yes. like took a backseat on being agents and going full-time into investing and we have multiple properties going at once and uh, it's just so much on our plate. We were like, oh, but we're agents. We can be the agent on it as well. We just really realized how important, like we should just spend that extra cost. Like we are not going to be the best agent for our property and sell at the best price. That's not our focus right now. So I think a lot of right. investors, like That's even you're talking about, like, you know, the area, you know, like, all the best investment areas, you know, the rules, like finding a good agent that's mm -hmm. familiar with investors is so make it or break it in a deal, yeah. especially we bought a property um, with an easement and we're moving fast. Okay. We didn't, you know, and it, if we had the, a, like, I think a better, not a better, well, like, you know, we were more diligent and we had a crazy agent. They would have caught right. that right away, you know? And I think it was a really bad right. agent. That, I blame the agent. <laughs> he found us a steal. It was an yeah. amazing steal. We're like, we're in blah, blah, blah. It was an, it's amazing steal for a reason. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. And listen, there's, it's so easy to get your real estate license. So that's the biggest thing. It's like, it really is kind of a gamble who you're going to work with and how much time they're going to put in. Now, after owning my brokerage for a year and a half and hiring and firing for a year and a half, it's, it's insane. Like, and my husband told me because he works with realtors all the time, but a lot of people, they don't put the effort into the business. They don't care about the business. So you really have to identify the people that care and that are like waking up like I need to find this person the perfect property or I need to sell this person's house like that's kind of like how my brain always is like I just had a meeting with a commercial developer and one of my top or my top producing agent and like you said like you have to shift your focus like I can't be focused just on residential now I have to kind of like shift it to commercial and it makes sense because of the way that I'm working with them but 
not a lot of people do residential and commercial because they can't focus on both. So mm-hmm. like you have to be so married to this business to like be good at it and like actually close deals. There are so many agents who will waste their time calling clients and cold calling and stuff and then never follow up and they don't know that it might take three years to close a client. And a lot of people don't want to wait that long. You know, they want to like get their license and start selling $5 million houses right away. (laughs) And, you know, like that could happen, but probably not, you know? So like you have to definitely work with people who are not focused on the price point. And like, especially when it comes to investing, I'm not looking for the most expensive house to sell my client. I'm looking for the least expensive one, like within, you know, what they're looking for. So it's a different mindset. It's not like, oh, I want to sell this like super expensive property. It's like, I want to find the best deal that's off market and like exclusive so then I can go share it with my investors and like get them a good deal that I can then upsell once it's ready. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Cause I've had clients that started at 125,000 and then the last property I sold for that client was 1.5 million. So it's like a marriage, you know, like you, yeah. you have to go into it, the mindset of like, this is not the first deal. Like if I gain the trust in the first one, we're going to do like seven deals. So that's kind of always like my mindset when it comes to that. Um, and just making people happy on the first deal. Yeah. I love that. treating it like an actual business and knowing that that one client can be a returning client in years to come. You have to treat them like that, not try to squeeze everything out of them because we will never use the agent again that sold us this house because he, instead of finding us a really good deal, he wanted his quick buck. So he got his quick buck, exactly. but he will never get returning business, any of our customers, anything ever again. So it's really important anything. to do due diligence and care about your client and not just the money. There, The house I'm selling in the water right now, that was originally a client that almost bought a $1 million property with me. We lost it. And they're still in their original house. This is now four years later, but I've done like four deals with the referrals that they've sent me. So Mm -hmm. that's another thing, like don't burn a bridge. If you're working with a client and they haven't bought yet and you're like, oh my God, they're wasting my time. Mm -hmm. Don't get so in your ego that you ruin that relationship because you're shooting yourself in the foot, especially if you're in real estate to be in it long-term, which a lot of people are. Yeah. And so for you, like getting started, I would love to know your story on getting started. So many agents, it sounds like the most amazing career. And at the end of the day, you're an entrepreneur. And I think a lot of people forget that. And that the only way that you're going to make a dollar is by your effort and your work ethic and making it happen. And those first, you know, we were door knocking, we were 20 years old, like little blondes and door knocking every single door and like so upset that the first four months and we we didn't have a listing. And that's the reality of it always, you know, and it's like the only way you can do it is being consistent at it and earning those big deals. So what was kind of like your, how, what year did you start and how did you get started? So I did medical device sales for while I was in college and then for three years after college. So after I graduated, I worked my way up into surgical sales and I got a job. Uh, I got a job offer for like 250K. It was like amazing. At 23, I was crying. Like I was just super stoked. And then um, it didn't end up working out. I was like waiting for my offer letter. I was like, what's going on? And I had just gotten my real estate license while I was working doing medical device sales for another company. And so I just said, you know what? I'm going to keep interviewing for med sales, but like, let me just 
tomorrow start my real estate career. So I started going door to door, like with my postcards. Actually, the first listing I ever got was 147,000. And I said, okay, every listing, I'm going to make 500 at least postcards, pass them out in person because I couldn't afford the postage. The postage was so expensive to like send them out. And um, I was like, I'm going to do this so that people know that I'm like the hardest working agent in the area. They're going to see me out here sweating my ass off, like out here for five, six hours at a time. And I wanted that visual of people seeing like, oh, she's not a lazy millennial. She, if she's doing this, she's going to work hard to sell my house. Mm -hmm. And then I would record everything on Instagram. So I would do it like on my stories, look what I'm doing, da, 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 da. And you know, a lot of people would say like, oh, you, you're like boasting and you know, it's annoying, whatever. But like, I knew that I had to multitask and like make money as soon as possible. Cause I did not have something else to fall back on at the moment. Right. Um, so I really put everything into it. Everything that I learned prospecting and medical device sales, which you go through very serious, like corporate training and you have to really know your shit. Like you're learning, like about these devices that aren't even on the market yet. And you have to know that before you even apply for the job or like interview. So going into real estate, I was like, this is a cakewalk. Like I don't have to go to 15 years a day. Like I don't have to like beg to get in to talk to them. Like it's a totally different dynamic. So, and it was nice to not have a boss. I was like, I am so autonomous. I don't need somebody knocking on my door to tell me what to do. Like let me free so I can like go make some money kind of thing. And that's exactly what happened. I started from zero clients, had no Zillow listing. Like Zillow called me and they're like, oh, it's 600 bucks a month. It's like, I can't afford that. So I did everything on a, like balling on a budget. And now I have too many clients. So that's why I opened a brokerage. So uh, a lot of people don't know that I supply, like I would say 85% of what closes in the brokerage. So any leads that come in, I work on them with the agents. That's why I'm so specific about who works here. Um, And um, that's how the business works. It's like totally different from another brokerage. I don't work off of volume. It's more so like, how can we take care of my clients the best way where I can sleep at night? And then know that they're, you know, with agents that know what they're doing basically and like are highly trained. So that's pretty much the business structure of how we kind of operate. And it's been going well, like, but I will say it's very stressful. Like yeah, transitioning from an agent to a broker, I thought it would be a lot easier than it is, <laughs> to be honest. I was like, oh, I have all the leads. Like I have, you know, people who want to join already, like awesome. But if you're not great with admin and management, which are yeah. two things that I never learned anything about before now. Um, I was always in sales, which I am, I know I'm good at, but the management side is a whole different animal. So it's interesting and it's a learning experience for sure. So we always, we have, we refer to a phrase from one of our mentors, it's who, not how. So everybody has their strengths. You know, if your strength is sales, providing the leads, have you kind of been, you seem like you're the person though, like you're, you're, you're an entrepreneur, you're a boss, you're might be a little bit more control want the control, but do have you found maybe a COO for the company to allow you to take and do what you're best at? I just had a meeting about this actually, um, because, you know, once you own a business, you get a bunch of people applying, like I can do this, I can do that, blah, blah, blah. Yeah. And I get a lot of people asking to help me with social media management, which I've never had a social media manager. I post everything myself. Um, 
and I've interviewed people and then I'm like, why would I need a social media manager? Like I need more help with the business side of things and like making sure everyone's called and stuff like that. So an ISA is really like what is most valuable for me right now is just somebody to like call people all day long. Um, but as far as like the business structure, I do have an assistant who's worked for me for over a year that lives in Ohio actually, but she's amazing. She like does the business structure with me. Like she's very, very well versed now on how the business works behind the scenes. So that's like my main girl who we talk all the time, all day long. And, um, then I operate the business, but my best time is probably spent in marketing. So, um, you know, all of the like agent interaction and day-to-day stuff like that, that's kind of where I'm like, I need somebody to be a buffer a little bit because it's yeah. a lot of communication all day long. And I obviously I have two kids, so it's a lot. <laughs> yeah, I know. I really cannot believe how much you do. So how do you kind of structure your schedule with having, one's a newborn, right? You just had a baby. Yeah. And then yeah. a toddler. <laughs> Yes, he's three. Um, So what I do is I'm really structured with my time with them being just with them. That's why you don't see my kids on social media for other reasons too, safety. People would come to my office asking about my kids and I was like, no. Um, So they're not on there for safety, but also like quality time. No kid wants a phone in their face, you know? So in the mornings, like when I'm with them before, you know, I'm in my work mode, I'm like, no phone, just the kids, like super, super, like, let's play, let's eat together. Let's like, inner, like have like our really good quality time. Then I do my stuff for work. Then I know, okay, I can focus just on work now. I don't need to be like yeah. having my mom guilt, like freaking out brain, whatever. And then once I'm back with my kids, same thing. Like, it's never going to be perfect. Of course, in real estate, people call you all the time. But with being a mom, I definitely set a lot of boundaries that I did not have before. I was the kind of person where I was at lunch on a Saturday, like I'm dropping everything to go show you a house. Now it's like, okay, my priority is my kids. And the business has to work around that. And it actually is very smooth. Like, I feel like as long as you're really direct with people from the jump, like, I'm not going to answer the phone at 1130 at night, like, or just not answering until the next day. That's something I had to learn because I was really, really like married to the phone and would take a call at 1am if it came in every day, you know? So yeah, I think, with, I think that's with balancing like yeah. earned too, because you've, you know, worked so hard that now instead of begging for clients, clients are right. begging for you. And so when you really right. get to be where you add so much value to a client and that's how it should be, you know, where you're adding so much value, they really need you. They're going to respect your boundaries, you know? Right. A hundred percent. No, it's, it's, it's cool to see when it's in motion, but before you're like, Oh my God. And like you said, like giving up the control, it can be so scary, but once you do it, you're like, Oh my God, like this could have been so much easier before if I just relaxed a little bit, <laughs> Like, but it's your baby, you know, your business is your baby. So it's hard to give up control, but once you do it, thing, good things happen. I think. What year did you get your license? And now you have your own brokerage. What's like, was that five years? I, yeah, five and a half. I think I got licensed the end of 2017 and I won rookie of the year for like the three months that I worked at that brokerage. Real estate's kind of like in my blood. Everyone in my family does real estate. So 
Uh, we talk about it all the time. Like my parents were both mortgage brokers growing up. So um, I feel like that definitely has benefited me too. Like my parents flipped houses my entire life. We lived in a ton of different houses. So when you guys are talking about, oh, factor in, you might need your roof replaced or your AC. When you're an agent talking, you know, going through a house, it's very helpful to be like, oh, that's going to cost this. A new bathroom, yeah. 15K. You know what I mean? Like you guys yeah. know, I'm sure now that you've done it yourself, even if you wanted to go back to just, you know, doing strictly real estate transactions for clients, you would have so much more knowledge now after what you've done yourselves. Right. It's so true. And add so much value. I mean, even when client, yeah, yes. I'm like, oh, this fixture, I have my whole fixture list. I can send you, you know, like all the details. They're like, wow, or go into a property and you can almost give them a quote. You're not a GC, but you can say, you know, this is going to cost 250000 but you could have so much upside. And they're like, whoa, yeah. that's more than a normal agent offers. We've definitely thought about that, but... <laughs> that and that's the make or break of a lot of deals. It's It really is. Because if people can't visualize like or think about how much they're going to spend on top of it for mm -hmm. repairs they might just say forget it you know yeah. so mm -hmm. it's it's great to know and that's really cool that you guys are flipping your own properties together how, how do you guys know each other are you guys like long-term friends so we met like probably five years ago um and we actually started as business partners because she had heard that i was in real estate so she wanted to get into real estate so we partnered up as agents. Yeah, as time. agents. And then we became best friends. But we've always wanted to flip houses. And we finally just pulled the trigger like a year ago. And it was been such an amazing journey. Like for us, we're so thankful for each other. Even in that time, the reason we became best friends is because we saw something that we never saw in another woman where we the, the drive that we both have is so unparalleled. And so it's to find a partner with that is just so insane to understand our vision and what we want to accomplish and how many units we want to have and just these big dreams that we didn't really relate to any of our other friends on. And so it, with our business, it's been the most powerful thing having a partnership because we keep each other so accountable, like, and we have so much respect for each other that, and I also know no task is going to fall through. Like if you have an employee or someone that you have to micromanage in no way, shape or form do we micromanage each other. Cause I know mm -hmm. Jess is going to do what Jess says she's going to do. That's what she's proven right. for the last five years. And I think when you find a business partner, you have to find someone with the same aligned drive. Mm -hmm. You can have different skills and different assets, which adds to the business. But if you guys aren't on the same page with your work ethic, it builds up so much animosity. Like we've never had that. So yeah. there's just so much value yeah. add that we're like always like wanting to do. So if, if she's on something, I'm like, boom, I'm on the other thing, like running around, we'll do anything right. for each other. And so I think it's been a really, really amazing dynamic. And just to say like, because in real estate, it's really hard in being an agent or investing and having that person that we have a time block. So it doesn't matter if we treat it like we work Monday through Friday. So 9 a.m. we're running deals, 10 a.m. we're networking with agents, 11 a.m. you know, so that's our set schedule. So if I didn't have her, I'm so motivated, but would we be crazy efficient like this? Probably not. Yeah. That's awesome. That's really cool to hear because it's, you know, uh, not everybody does it that way. Like some, mm -hmm. like you said, it's hard to find somebody that's on that same like motivation level as you. Because sometimes it's like if you're expecting somebody to work at the same level as you and they're not in that same, you're going to sound like a crazy person. <laughs> like, yeah, like you. you know, same thing with my agents. Like I had to kind of 
cut down the agents from 25 to 15. Um, because I was like, if you're not like so invested in this business and we're not all thinking the same way, like let's help these clients. It, there's no, how do you fire holding it back? (laughs) How do I fire? Yeah. Like how does that, it depends. (laughs) So, Okay, so because I provide leads to the agents, I have a CRM where I can just log in and see who's calling who, who isn't calling who. So, you know, because I know the processes of how many times you have to contact a client, um, if I see that somebody's not called for months, you know, and I'm I'm like marketing and providing these leads, to me, that's like I'm working hard and you're not matching that. Um, and it's, you know, it's not respectful of the opportunity that you're getting. So before, when I first started, it would take me maybe nine months to figure out that I had to fire an agent. Now it's like a lot shorter of a time. And I have to do that just for the sake of my own business. It was hard because I'm like a girl's girl and I like, you know, I'm used to being in service of clients, you know, I'm not used to being the boss and being like, do this, you know, it's more like, how can I help you kind of thing. And I had to shift and be like, listen, like, this is a business. This is money. Like, I can't, it's money. And it's also my name. Like, Mm -hmm. I can't have people not calling people. And then I'm on TikTok saying, work with us. You know, like, everybody's got to be on the same page. So to get 20 people on the same page, it, it just takes time. It just takes trial and error and hiring and firing. And I had to learn instead of quick to hire, slow to fire, I had to flip it on its head really quick and do like slow to hire, quick to fire. And that's exactly how my business is now. Like it, I might add one or two agents a month. It's not my goal to have a million agents. My goal is to have the best. So the time I take with interviewing them and making sure they're experienced and they know how to talk to a client and all this stuff, that's where the time is now. And then I know with confidence that they can handle the leads. Um, That's before, such a good yeah, skill. It was like, versus like Keller Williams. But you also offer so much value. I mean, we've been with a couple of brokerages and that's not normal to offer clients, you mm-hmm. know? So the value add that no, you no, offer, no. if those agents don't see mm-hmm. that, I would be like the fact that, because the prospecting part of being an agent is the toughest part in yeah. the beginning, you know? And yes. so if you're supplying those leads, these people better be bending over backwards for your clients because yeah. it is your name. They right. want to work with you right. when they're calling. Right. When, when a $3 million client comes in the door and I send it to someone, they don't call. I'm like, I would have killed for that opportunity in the oh beginning. Like I was like calling lenders begging. I remember this lender said, I can send you some leads because I'm like starting to pay for leads, something like that through Facebook or whatever. I was like, sure. And then he's like, do you speak Spanish? I have this $200,000 buyer on the line. And I'm like, uh, see. And I like, you know, I grew up speaking Spanish, but I don't speak it fluently anymore. And I just like pretended because I'm like, I need to make money. Like I've got to like, you know, I want to help anybody. I want to learn. Like, I don't care how much the price yeah, is. Now, so now I'm like getting these leads in and I'm like, oh my God, $7 million buyer that I don't have time to help. But like, can somebody help it? You know, like it's, it's just kind of crazy. It's surreal. And I feel really blessed and grateful. Um, but yeah, the operations on the back end is just a constant need for maintenance, you know, to make sure everything's running smoothly. We were so desperate in the beginning. We were just, mm-hmm. but we're hustlers. We would do anything. So we found this, um, we actually, both of our numbers, our licenses spam now, unfortunately, but because we, 
<laughs> we would do voicemail drops. So we would find every person okay. in our area code and drop like, hey, how are you? This is Kinsey Walensky. I work with Keller Williams. Um, well, we would actually say, hey, sorry, I missed you. We'd pretend like we knew them. Oh, yeah. Hey, sorry. No. Or like we would say, That's hey, smart. we're very interested in buying your house. Have you ever thought yes. about selling? Like we were so desperate. And yeah. we got a, like three clients from that where that were like, Hey, yeah, I kind of have thought about selling. I'm like, oh my God, that's so amazing. Let me meet you for a listing appointment. <laughs> that's amazing. No, I love it. I love hearing this because it's like fun. You know, it's such a hustle, but like the work that you put in, I feel like it always shows up like three months later. Like anything yeah. that you're doing like in real estate, it's like it's going to show up a few months later. So you have to have that trust that your hustle and all that stuff even if you're two years in, like it's gonna pay off if you actually truly do the work like you guys were doing. So it's like, you know, it's just taking the time. So where do you see yourself? I mean, you've accomplished so much in the last five years. Do you kind of have a map of where you want to be in the next, in the future five years? I have definitely focused a lot on the commercial development side of things over the last year, year and a half. Um, and it was a gamble to do that because a lot of, it just takes a lot of time and it's a lot of trust. And like we're talking about, like trust that the business is going to work. Um, so my vision is a lot of the new development in South Florida, also in some other States, we have some projects going on that we're actually taking, um, taking funds on now and we're going to start marketing them like this week. Um, but that's super exciting for me. Like I'm pinching myself that I'm even in these rooms talking to these developers and these like people that have been doing this for 50 years. And I'm just like, holy shit, because they're seeing the value in my marketing now, like the TikToks and, yeah. you know, a listing on Zillow gets like 2000 views. One of my listings gets a million views a month at least. So and I've sold properties from hashtags like all the time. So now it's like, whereas people were making fun of me and I, they still do. I mean, I hear about it all the time. I literally do not care at all about that. But the agents will say, oh, an agent in Miami was talking about you. Like, oh, is that the broker who dances in the houses, whatever. But I'm like, now these developers like want me to do their marketing instead of like hiring a marketing team. Like that's mm -hmm. insane to me. And it's like real. And I'm like, that's where I see the future of this and just continuing to promote the business that way and having just really good reputation. That's really like what I just want to keep that reputation that we're super hard workers because that's really mm -hmm. what we are. Right. I love that. And I love that you put a lot of emphasis into content. Obviously, we understand that so much. And that's kind of with the background that I came from. So now implementing that into business where we have our Blondes Billion Equity page that we're uploading TikToks on every single day. And it's just even the value add from our current followers on our separate pages, the rooms that we're able to get into, you know, making those connections, sending those DMs. So I think people creating content and putting yourself out there, especially if you're a realtor, is so valuable. Mm -hmm. You like to be able to just get clients from posting online. So I think a lot of people 
are not fully on to the content creating stage yet, but yeah. it's so, so valuable. And we literally, we utilize it in any way we can just set, getting in certain rooms or allowing that marketing opportunity. And so we put so much of our time in our time block. Mm-hmm. Okay. We have our business time and we have our content creating time and you better bet at least two hours right. a day is spent to content creating. Cause we know it leads to so much in the business. Yeah. And teaching what you learn. That's what we've started to yeah. do on our TikTok instead of before when we first were creating and we hadn't had a property that we were flipping yet, we are kind of just listening to things and then re-saying it on TikTok, like what we've learned. And now we don't like repeat other people's lessons. We just talk about our own lessons, like buying a property with yes. equipment, making sure the layout is good, making sure you're in high demand, like making sure you're in the best area with the lowest price, like all these things that we've learned now we're teaching from our own experience. So there's like a personal yeah. aspect instead of just sitting there and being like, okay, this is how you be like, this is how you buy, renovate, repeat. Like we're actually right. teaching our own lessons. No, it's Which true. Nice. And then you kind of make yourself like the expert, you know, like mm-hmm. by doing that, because when I first, I started my, um, I used to call it the, the boot camp, and I just changed it to the playbook, but it's like a real estate course. And I, I think I did that like four years ago and I was at my other brokerage and I told her about it. I said, all these people are DMing me on Instagram asking for advice. Like, and I want to make this course to provide to them. She's like, that's a horrible idea. You're creating competition for yourself. You know, like, why would you share all of your secrets? Which makes sense. You know, like I thought the same thing. And sometimes you second guess yourself, but I was like, no, let me just do it. And now a lot of the people that work for me, came from that, like came from taking my course and then said, oh, I actually want to learn from you like in person and I'm local. And it's like, okay, well, I know that they now have learned from me. So at least they're like somewhat on the same page. And it's amazing how much, like you said, that will connect you to people Mm -hmm. more than you would ever expect. Um, But, you know, teaching people educates yourself in the process, like Mm -hmm. even creating the course material I use the same thing to teach, to teach my agents. So it's like kind of all works together and every experience that you have in real estate, you have a story to tell. Like Mm -hmm. I'm sure the podcast that you guys are doing, you know, I, I have a podcast too. And sometimes I'm like, what's the point of me making the podcast kind of thing? Like, where should my focus be? But I'm sure you guys meet so many people that you can then do deals with through this podcast. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like it's such an opportunity to learn for mm-hmm. free, like with what you're doing and connect with people where you, like we would have not talked had it not been for your podcast. Right. right. So like that really is the value in it. It's like, it's not so much the monetization of the actual podcast itself. It's the human connections that you're making because of it. And like probably the business deals that you because we get people on the podcast like that we've looked up to watch their content for 10 years like that I would have if you wanted to do a private session with that individual they would charge you I mean so much money probably for that individual coaching call and not only do we I just DM and ask them to be on the pod and they're super excited because it's great exposure but they're they're our friends now you know like we really nurture those relationships after and we've really made this community of real estate investors that we never thought was possible and so we're like no matter what, we're keeping the podcast because every week we learn yeah. so, so much. Like I get to sit here and ask you questions and pick your brain yeah. and build a relationship with you. Like what else, what more could you ask for? Yeah. 
Well, thank you so much for coming on. You have been amazing. I already knew from your content. Thank you so much. It was so great talking to you guys.